we're all scared of something. And if you're scared of closed-in places, does anybody know what they call that? Claustrophobia, exactly. Now, if you have something called acrophobia, that means you possess the fear of high places. i got to make a, a confession here that I can watch a video of somebody jumping out of a plane with a parachute, somebody bungee jumping, or, or anything from high, and I draw up like nobody's business. I mean, I can't stand, I think I've got acrophobia for real. If you have astrophobia, it's thunderstorms that really get your goat. Now, if you fear dirt, Brother Tim and Jennifer and Kevin, if you fear dirt, don't go to work for Bama Dirt, first of all. But if you fear dirt, you are experiencing mysophobia. Have you got that, brother? Who knows? Now, if you're blushing and afraid of that, you're probably experiencing urethrophobia. But here's the most dangerous phobia of them all. Y'all ready for this? Say, I'm ready. The most dangerous of all the phobias is something called homilophobia. Homilophobia is the fear of sermons. Anybody got that? Huh? Amen. All kidding aside, what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you are afraid of? Once again today, we're going to see that this fellow named Nehemiah is a man of courage. Nehemiah has left his hometown in the capital city of Persia. He left his lucrative job as the king's cupbearer. And now he's in Jerusalem. The, the The city is in shambles. And he's there to rebuild the walls of the city. Now, last week, we looked in detail at the dream team that God assembled, and we discovered this. We discovered that teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? Can you say that with me? Teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? And as we come to chapter 4 in Nehemiah's journal, we find that we're actually backing up. We're actually looking at events before the previous chapter, before the walls were finished. And as we look at this task, this incredible task of rebuilding God's premises and rebuilding later God's people, we're going to find that rebuilding God's premises and rebuilding God's people ain't easy. It is not an easy task. And in many ways, it can almost be very, very scary. So Nehemiah teaches us that we need to have courage. Courage to face our fears. But the question before us today is this. How? How are we supposed to face our fears? As believers on the Lord Jesus Christ, how are we supposed to get past our fears. Well, today in Nehemiah 4, we're going to see five principles to live by that will help you and help me to face our fears. The first is this. The first principle is this. 
realize that conflict is going to be inevitable when you face your fears. If you'll go to Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to read the first three, cha- or th- first three verses, and let's see what happened in Nehemiah's journal. He writes, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked all of God's people. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, (laughs) What do these people, Jews, think that they're doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a single day? Will they revive these broken down stones of rubble? These stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah... The Ammonite was beside him and he said, he said, man, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. So they're making fun. We have to realize that conflict is inevitable when we decide we're going to face our fears. And immediately we read that Sanballat and all of his comrades are really ticked off. They're really mad because Nehemiah's plans could potentially cost them a whole lot of money. And their reaction reminds me and you that believers must be willing to endure personal insult. As believers, we must be willing to hear personal insult. See, sometimes as believers in Jesus Christ, as God's people, we got to develop some really thick skin if we're going to face our fears. These rebuilders were having their character questioned as their enemies said, you guys are just doing this for for yourselves. They were told that the problem's too big. They were told that the plan just wasn't feasible. They were told that their efforts were an extraordinary waste of time. Now, a fellow named Alan Redpath reminds us today that conflict is inevitable when he wrote this. When he said, there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. And there is no victory without vigilance. When the people of God say, let's arise and build. You can count on the enemy saying, let me arise and oppose. Again, believers got to know, if they're going to face their fears, they've got to know that their belief in God is going to be ridiculed. This is what the believers in Jerusalem were facing. They were mocked. They were being made fun of. They were being put down. They were being told that their plan to rebuild the walls, it was nuts. And when this happens... It's real easy to take it personally. When we're made fun of and ridiculed, it can be really, really easy to even start believing that junk ourselves. But in his own frustration, Nehemiah also knew the second principle that we need to live by if we're going to face our fears, and that is this. Remember that prayer is crucial. Take a look at verse 4. Nehemiah is getting ready to pray, and he actually writes down his prayer. And he says, 
Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn our enemies' approach on their own heads and give them as plunder a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger for the builders, before the builders. And so we built the wall. We built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened that when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very, very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. We made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them both day and night. If believers are going to face their fears, they've got to understand that they've got a tool that unbelievers don't have. Believers have a tool called knee mail. Amen? We have a tool called knee mail that provides a direct shot to heaven. And it's incredible because if I was Nehemiah, I probably would have argued with my enemies. If I was Nehemiah, I probably would have gone and picked a fight with them. But not him. No, he follows the advice found in Proverbs 26.4 that says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Instead, Nehemiah shows us that when conflict comes, when fear strikes, it's time to pray. Are you hearing me, church? When fear sets in, it's time to To pray. It's time to pray because all of this in our lives is an attack against God. It's not an attack against you. It's an attack against God. So I don't know about you, but I'm just going to let Him handle it. Amen? So along with our knee mail, we also need to recognize that the enemy is hoping that you and I will give up. He continues to attack because he wants us to give up. And the timing of the attack here couldn't be more perfect because the wall is only about halfway up. So if they're going to be attacked by the enemy, now's the time. But we also read in verse 6 the secret of the secret of success for God's people. Two little verses. Here it comes. The first one is this. We built the wall. We built the wall. And number two, the people had a mind to work. So who did it? We did it. The people did it. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't the leaders. All the people gathered together to build up the wall because they all had a mind to work. And in that, we're also taught that teamwork makes the dream work. Right? When we get together, the dream can come to fruition. But believers must also prepare not only for building but also prepare for battle. Because anytime you want to move forward in the, in the kingdom of heaven, you better believe that there's going to be a battle. Send Ballot and his buddies, 
discover that insulting the people of God ain't stopping them. They're still building. And so what do they do? They say, we've got to step up the threat here, guys. We've got to step up our attack. And so what they do is they surround Jerusalem and they prepare to invade to just wipe them out. But Nehemiah declares a two-pronged solution to their invasion. He says, we're going to pray and we're going to perspire. We're going to have prayer and we're going to have perspiration. We're going to pray to God and we're going to continue serving God. They lived out James 4, 7, where the Bible says, Submit yourselves unto God, therefore, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did y'all catch that? They were submitting to God and resisting the enemy. That's exactly what we need to do in our lives, too. Submit to God and resist the enemy. As God's people, we are all in this together. We are all supposed to gather together to pray and do all that we can do. But we must concede this third principle to live by if we're going to face our fear. And that is we have to admit that discouragement is understandable. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but discouragement gets to me. Let's read in verse 10 how it got to the people of God. In verse 10, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. They were getting discouraged. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall anymore. And our adversaries, our enemies said, they will neither know nor see anything until we come in their midst and kill them and cause that work to cease. So it was when the Jews dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, your enemies will always be upon you. Wow. You know, believers can get really burned out if our focus remains on the sheer size of the task. Sometimes I think there are so many lost people in the world today. And God calls us as his people to share the gospel with all these lost people. That is a huge, huge task. But he calls us to do what we can do with what we have where we are so that we won't get discouraged. We can't focus on the size of the whole task. We've got to focus on what God wants us to do within the task. You see, the previous solution of praying and perspiring was not the end of Nehemiah's troubles. The thrill, the thrill of a new project was beginning to fail. The people of God were beginning to grow weary of hearing about the future of God's people. They were getting exhausted and they were getting frustrated But you know what really seemed to get to them? What really got to them was all the trash. What really got to them was all the rubbish. What really got to them was all the the rubble. I mean, everywhere they go, there are broken rocks and dried up mortar, piles of dirt and piles of debris. 
junk is everywhere. And it kind of causes them to lose perspective, to lose their focus on what God wanted to do. Now, this is a great place for me to ask this favor. I want to ask for someone to step up to be a leader to help us remove the rubbish. In the basement underneath our fellowship hall, it's exactly what Nehemiah was experiencing. Junk is everywhere down there. Piles of debris, piles of this and that, piles of junk. And what I want to ask you, and ask you online as well, is there someone who would take a stand to remove the rubbish? Not to do it themselves, but to lead a team. 10 or 15 guys, or, and women too, for that matter. Just to lead the attack on the rubbish. Because we want to continue to pray to prepare for the future of God's people. We're praying for God's plan, but there's so much rubbish in the way sometimes that we can't see the work. So if that person is you, if, one, if somebody in here would, would be the leader to just facilitate all that, first of all, you got your first signee right here. I'll be willing to help you. We'll get a dumpster in there, and we'll take all that rubbish and all that debris and all that trash, and we'll get rid of it. Okay? If that person's you, you get with me after the service. Because it sometimes helps, helps to not lose our perspective when we get rid of all the rubbish. So... Anyway, another subject. So Sanballat and all of his buddies hear. They hear uh, about what the plan is, and uh, the people of God start getting discouraged. And Sanballat steps up and says, well, obviously we're going to have to use force here. We're going to have to go into that city, attack them, and make them stop. Make them stop building. And as a result, the people start getting scared. Their vision starts getting blurred. They're starting to get discouraged. Their hope begins to dwindle. And these rebuilders get downright scared. For you see, discouragement cannot be ignored. Discouragement is a lot like a flat tire. If you don't fix that joker, you're going to be afoot. Amen? So you got to fix it. we got to fix discouragement when it enters in to the church. Now that brings us to the fourth principle that we need to live by if we're going to face our fears. And that is this. We need to know that agreement, that agreement is essential. Let's read verse 13 and on. Verse 13, therefore, uh, Nehemiah says, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons and grandsons. Fight for your daughters and your granddaughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. 
And it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us had returned to the wall and everyone back to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked on the construction while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and wore armor. The leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those that built the wall and those that carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side, listen to this, as he built. As he was doing the Lord's will, he was also ready to protect the people of God. And one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you are, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there for our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. What I want you to notice here is the believers have started to close in the gaps in the wall. The wall is joining together. Now, we don't know if the people were complaining to Nehemiah. We don't know if they were grumbling about Nehemiah. It's just not recorded. But I think it's probably fair to say that there was a pretty good bit of complaining going on, don't you? I think there's probably plenty of grumbling. But here's the reason why. These builders, they didn't sign up to get killed. Some of these builders were coming from 20 miles away to work on the wall, and they didn't come sign up to get killed. Right? And that shows us that there will always be details. Details about the plan that are missing. There will always be. We simply don't know all the details that are going to be concerned. So there will always be gaps in our plan. Always be gaps because we're going to be experiencing unexpected things. So what do we do? Well, I want you to notice something. Nehemiah doesn't slam the people that are complaining. Nehemiah doesn't knock their legitimate concerns. He took their concerns. He takes their their fears and and he, he takes them seriously. And here's what he does. He revises the plan a little bit. He revises the plan, and then he makes practical adjustments to the plan, and then he reinforces the weak spots in the plan. He reinforces the weak spots in the wall. And by doing this, we're reminded that believers can stand on the truth, that believers can be encouraged by the truth. The people are encouraged when they remember this. When they remember that the vision to rebuild Jerusalem is a God thing. It's not a people thing. It's not a Jerusalem thing. It's a God thing. It's a spiritual matter and nothing less. So our God-given vision, our God-given purpose, it's a God thing, y'all. It's a spiritual matter, nothing less. Now, Nehemiah... And all those people would have really appreciated the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul said, 
What shall we say then to these things? Listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? We need to realize that as we unfold the vision before us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, that's the right perspective to have. That's the right view. Because it's then that believers then become willing to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Amen? Notice what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah focuses on unity. He knows that when God's people, he knows that when the body of Christ comes together in agreement, that there ain't nothing the opposition can do to foil the plan of God in our church and in our lives. Nehemiah made sure that if the enemy attacked, all the people would know it. There'd be somebody just blasting a trumpet and the cavalry would come running. And it reminds us again, this is not just a physical matter. This is a spiritual matter. It's a God thing. And they knew that God was fighting for them and would be with them. Now we come to the fifth and final principle to live by if you're going to face your fears. And that is this. You must accept that sacrifice is inescapable. You cannot escape the fact that sacrifice is going to be a part of God's plan. Look in verse 21 and we'll finish up. So we labored in the work and half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay the night. In Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and work by day. It's a 24-hour shift, man. So neither I and my brethren, my servants, or the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Thank the Lord they did that. Amen? Be awful stinky. But here's what we need to know. Believers need, must be determined to finish the work. We must be determined to look beyond our current generation into the future generation of our children and grandchildren. You want to know why? Because the enemy's goal is to scare us off. The enemy's goal is to make us quit this foolishness of looking to the future generation. That's his goal, is to get our eyes reset away from what God says is important. So friends, when we get tired and we get frustrated, we've got to stay focused. Focused so that we can continue building for the future of God's people. Now is not the time to play it safe. Now is the time to move forward. Did I ever tell you about that Dr. Seuss character named the Zode? Well, this guy came to two signs at the fork in the road. One side said to place one and the other to place two. And the Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants. Amen. And he said to himself, now I'll be taking a chance. To go to place one, that place may be too hot. And how will I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find out it's too cool. Play safe. Play safe, cried the Zode. 
I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zod, who would not take a chance, ended up no place with a split in his pants. Amen? What's the point, Bill? The point is this. For these rebuilders, there was no backing off. These guys were all in. They were going to do God's work, God's way for God's glory. They were dependent upon God, and they were going to do all that they could do. In fact, they were going to go above and beyond the call of duty to be sure that God's purposes were happening. Why? Why indeed? The reason they were willing to do all that is because they were on a mission from God. Can I tell you, my friend, you are on a mission from God. You're breathing and your heart is beating because of God. You are here on a mission from Him. And they show us by example that we need to be staying alert to what's happening in our day and what's coming down the pike. Friends, we are not playing a game here This is not just church play. We're called to fulfill our God-given agenda in the now and in the future of God's people here. This work is not for the half-hearted. In fact, let's be honest. We may even have to endure hardship for the Lord's sake to fulfill His agenda. But I want to give you one very specific reason. One very specific reason why these rebuilders were able to face their fears. And that is when God is in it, there ain't no reason to fear. When God is in it, there is no reason to fear. Did you see what happened here? The enemy never does attack, they just threaten. Their F-E-A-R was simply false evidence appearing real. They never did attack Jerusalem. And as a result, the building continued. And these rebuilders got more and more bold about the future because they were seeing God work in their now. Nehemiah found it's real easy to turn our back on a God-given vision. In fact, I think vision attracts criticism. Why? Because people don't like change. Amen? But vision is also difficult to defeat. It's difficult also to defend. Because a person who may see a goal down the road, but he don't know all the details that are going to take place to get to that goal. And so what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray for God's plan to prepare for the future of His people. We pray for God's plan to prepare for the future for your children, for your grandchildren, to have ministry opportunities here and to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But if fear sets in, so will paralysis. And so we got to refuse to give in to fear. So friend, let me ask you this question. Has God burdened you yet? Has God given you a burden for the next generation? You know, it's often very easy if we have children or grandchildren to have that burden for the next generation. But sometimes we find ourselves being on autopilot and we just go with the flow, not thinking, what are my kids going to do? What are my grandchildren going to do? I pray that you'll realize that God has called every single one of us to make a difference. To make a difference and not give up on our holy ambition. Because whenever you choose God's agenda, whenever you choose to do something God's way, here's one thing you better understand. The enemy's coming against you. Bank on it. You want to do something for God? You want to do something God's way? The enemy's coming against you. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but you'll never make a difference by doing nothing. You'll never make a difference by playing it safe. We've got to pray. Pray for God's plan to prepare for the future of his people. And those who are willing to face their fears, those who are willing to move ahead and not play it safe, will move forward regardless of the attacks. You know what I say? I say face your fear and build the wall anyway. Conflict is inevitable. And if we're doing God's work, we can trust Him. I say face your fears, build the wall anyway. Because we know where our strength is. It's not in us and what we can do. Our strength is found in who God is and what He can do. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I say face your fears. Build the wall anyway. We're not alone. God is with us. And just look at the team that He has given us to work with. And when there's teamwork, it makes the dream work. So let's don't be discouraged. Let's be encouraged. Let's be alert, not distracted. Let's be difference makers. Difference makers with a holy ambition to fulfill God's agenda today, day after day today, but also for the future of God's people. Friend, no matter who you are, whether you're lost or whether you're saved today, I want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that God has gifted you with abilities and talents and intelligence that may be debatable. Amen? But He's given us those things and they're intended to be used fulfilling God's agenda. Fulfilling His plan for the human race. But I don't think that people can really get that until they come to God. 
I don't think they can really get that until they are willing to accept the gift of God, Jesus Christ, and be forgiven of their sins and receive the promise of heaven. Won't you come to Christ today? Won't you accept the gift of God today? Won't you allow God to use you for His glory? I can make you a promise today. If you will, He will. If you'll come, He'll use you mightily for His glory. And friend, when you do accept the gift of God, you can begin to flesh out. You can begin to flesh out a verse in the Bible from 2 Corinthians 5.15 that says, And he died for all. Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. If the Lord's calling you, we invite you to come today. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your God-given agenda. And Father, I'm so thankful for a team that we can work with to continue pursuing and praying and planning and preparing, Lord, especially for the future generation, but also in the here and now. We need to be about your work. And when you come back for your people, Lord, let us be found faithful doing what you've called us to do. Now, Lord, inevitably there is a person listening or a person here today that desperately needs to come to Christ. Father, they need to make things right. They need to come into a relationship with you that's like no other. Lord, they need to come to you so that you can use their God-given abilities and talents for your glory. Father, if such a person exists in this room today, I pray you'd encourage them to come forward during this decision time. In Jesus' name we pray it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.